0: The problem is people no longer care about truth because we are in the post-truth era where people care and make decisions more based on what they feel and their emotion. And you've all heard people say it. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is all made up. Welcome to Church of the Rock from Winnipeg, Stay tuned to this week's thought provoking message from Pastor Mark Hughes. So, today I'm carrying on the series that began last week called Solid Rock or Sinking Sand. And I told you this if you go to the Gospels, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two types of people. Only two types of people in this world. And I call them rock dwellers and sand dwellers. And so here's how he articulated. He said that, you know, if those who hear the word and do it are like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock, he who hears the word and does not do it is like the fool who builds his house on the sand. And then the winds will come and the storms will come and the rains will come and the fall of that house will be great. I was thinking about that and I thought, boy, the world must be a bunch of fools because there's nothing we like better than building a house on a beach. So last week I talked about Ocean Tower that was built on South Padre Beach and 31 stories high and the thing began to sink into the sand and they had to tear the whole thing down. So this week we're going to go straight across the Gulf of Mexico to a place in Florida called Cape Romano. And so here it is on on the map. You get a little picture. You can see Miami over there. You look at the left side. On the Gulf side, you've got Cape Romano. It's the last stop on the West Coast. You've know you got Fort Myers and Naples, et cetera. And then you've got Cape Romano just before the Everglades, that big space in between there in Miami is the Everglades. So if we zoom in on this place... Uh, This is what it looks like. It's very spectacular. What you have is on the left side there, you've got the Gulf Stream in the Gulf of Mexico, and on the right side, you've got the tidal waters going in and out of the Marco River. And I've been there, to this place, and right at the point of that, the current is unbelievably strong. If you were to fall in, you would just get swept away in just seconds, in absolute seconds. So here's the story. The year is 1980, and there's a man by the name of Bob uh, Lee, and Bob Lee was a retired oil man from Tennessee, and he decided that he was going to build his retirement home on a beach, and he picked this spot. Now, he was no dummy. He he purchased this land, and he was going to build a house because he knew this is Hurricane Alley. He knew that every 10 years or so, there's a major hurricane that comes through there. So what he was going to do was he was going to build his house out of concrete domes. And so this is what he built. And, I mean, you can see these big concrete pillars going down into the sand. You can see these, these, you know, fortified domes. And he knew that when the hurricane winds hit those domes, those domes were going to stand. So he carried on, and of course, there's no power there. He's in the middle of nowhere. So he set up solar panels so he would have power. He planted palm trees. And then he had this beautiful home on this beautiful beach in the middle of nowhere, all secluded and all to himself. And here's the view out of his front window. There's the Gulf of Mexico in the background. And all was great for 12 years. And then in 1992, some of you remember this, there was Hurricane Andrew, a direct hit from a category five five hurricane. And here was the good news the domes survived what didn't survive was the island <laughs> the, the sand and so if you look at this picture you see these waters came up and came up and came up and when the water finally subsided this is what the house looked like it lit- I'm, but you gotta give them credit those concrete domes are still there and so anyway then what happened in 2005 there was hurricane wilma and it moved again. Actually, the sand moved again, and here it is. It's no longer beachfront. It's now waterfront, literally in the water, and of course, hordes of people would take their boats down there and have big parties on these domes. So in 2015, we were in this part of Florida, and I'd heard the stories about the dome house, and I thought, I've got to see this for myself and I knew it would make a great sermon illustration. And so anyway, we rented a boat. Here's Kathy and I, we renting this boat. See how excited we are? We're going for an adventure on the Gulf of Mexico. We were pretty excited. So we got into this boat and we drove the 20 miles or so down. It was a beautiful calm day. The sun was out and the Gulf of Mexico was relatively calm and we were able to travel the 20 miles to Cape Romano. And so here's the picture of what we saw when we arrived. The dome house is now 180 feet offshore. Now, the house didn't move. What moved? The sand. Solid rock or sinking sands, shifting sands. Here's what we discover about sand it moves. Air moves it, uh, wind moves it, water moves it. And so then I'm glad we went in 2015 because in 2017 was Hurricane Irma, and guess where the dome house is now? I think it's in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico because it no longer exists now here's my point I don't care if you want to build a beach house that's up to you that's your business in the literal sense what I'm asking you is do you really want to build your figurative do you really want to build your metaphorical house of your life on the shifting sinking sands of this world and the philosophies of this world and so What we're gonna do is go back to Jesus' words. See, last week we talked about this. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so we talked about what freedom was, and freedom was people, people who had freedom were people who built their house upon the rock. People who had freedom were people who built their house, their life, upon the word of God. And so today I wanna talk a little bit more about that. What exactly is this truth that would, you would know? What is truth? Because it's hard to know what tru- truth is. So I'll, I'll give you an example of this. So in 2016, every year the Oxford U- uh, uh, Dictionary brings out a word of the year. And the word of the year isn't a brand new word. It's a word that for whatever reason people are using all the time. It's become ubiquitous and quite widespread use. And so in 2016, the word of the year was post-truth. It's the fact that people no longer care about the facts, but what they care about is being appealed to their emotions and their feelings, and that is how they're influenced. And what happened is we entered, in 2016, the post-truth era. So much so that in 2017, Time Magazine did a piece on it. Now here's the cover of the Time Magazine, you see it on the right, and it was reminiscent of what happened in 1966. Their cover was, Is God Dead?, And they used that same dramatic cover in 2017 to ask this question, is truth dead? Now here's the fact, is that truth is not dead. The problem is people no longer care about truth because we are in the post-truth era where people care and make decisions more based on what they feel and their emotion. And you've all heard people say it, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind is all made up. And so we have entered into this season where people actually not only tolerate untruth, they actually have come to expect it. They expect everybody to lie. Do they expect politicians to lie? Yes, they do. They expect advertisers to lie. They expect media to lie. They certainly expect social media to lie. Does anyone really believe anything they read on social media anymore? I always have to laugh when people say, I know it's true, because I read it on the internet. The internet. Now there's a reliable source of information. (laughs) And, of course, that brings us to this point. Like, how do we know the truth? What is truth? So this is where we're going to go today. I'm going to, I just have one little verse for you. It's in Psalm 119. But it is one of these immensely dramatic verses. So here we are. Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Did you catch that? He said, the entirety of your word is truth. Every part of the word of God. Every story. Every scripture. Every word. Every fact. Every verse. And you see, that's what he says about his own word. That the word of God is true and reliable. But see, we live in a post-truth, post-modern, post-Christian society. And they completely disregard the Bible. Not all, they, they don't believe any of it's true. Let alone uh, the whole thing, the entirety of it. And so here, here's my question for you. How are we going to know the truth? And w- when, we, when we look at our world, and we look at the alt- what people call alternative facts, that's one of my favorite words, when we look at the alternative facts, what basis are we going to know the truth? Well, maybe you're not going to know everything, but at least we would have a foundation on which to build our life. And so even though the world is jettisoned, the word of God, the big question is, is the church standing On the word of God. And the answer to that is not always. And what has happened is the church is... See, the world has decided they want to live on the beach. And so the world has built their philosophies and their understandings and their ideologies on the shifting, sinking sands of worldly philosophy. And people are moving off the rock and they're disregarding the rock. But the church has always been built on the rock because Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the church has been eyeing the beach. And the church has been thinking, I kind of like to look at that sand over there. And drifting over that way. And they haven't rejected it in its totality. What they've done is they've kind of softened it a little bit. Because there's some uncomfortable things in the word of God. So you have churches and you have denominations. What are they doing? You've seen it all around North America and Western Europe. They're voting on whether they should or should not endorse same-sex marriage. They're, They're voting on that. You know, it's like the church constitution. It says the scriptures may be overturned by a two-thirds vote of the board of directors. I mean, really? And I understand why, why they're doing it. They're trying to appeal to a culture. I understand that. And so here's where it's gone. This is kind of the mentality of a lot of even evangelical churches today. They say, okay, the word of God is true as far as matters of faith and practice. But when it comes to science and technology and geography and history, it's not really reliable. It's allegories and metaphors and stories and poetry. But here's my question for you. If we cannot rely on the history and the science of Scripture, how do we know any of the rest of it's true? How can we rely on any of it? That's my my problem with this. And we get to this place where we don't know what is right or wrong. It's either all true or it's not. Because he said the entirety of his word is truth. I want to paint a picture for you for a moment. Because God God is very jealous about his word. He really is. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And I want you to think about this for a moment. We look at the God who created the heavens and earth, the sovereign, providential God of the universe. And he created this great universe that is 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other, incomprehensible. With 100 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion stars, and every one of those stars he says he calls by name. And then he created this one planet in the midst of that called Earth. And he filled it with fauna and flora and animals and multiple species. And then he put man in the midst of it. And he said, I want you to know I know everything about you. I bring the rain upon the just and the unjust alike. And not a sparrow falls from the tree that is outside of my will. And he says, not only that, I have the hairs on your head numbered. Are you kidding me, men? That changes every single day. Right? The three male hairstyles. Parted, unparted, and departed, right? <laughs> and, and he says he's got our hairs numbered. We think that God, the God that created heaven and earth, the one that has every hair on your head numbered, he can't get the science and the history of Scripture right. Are you kidding me? The temerity. The audacity to make a statement like that. That's the height of human arrogance to think that God is wrong and mankind and his science is right. The issue is that, that the rest of the world just hasn't caught up to scripture. Now I want to tell you a devastating story, I think it is. And it's about a pastor. I'm not going to mention his name. If you want to go figure it out, you'll be able to do that. But he pastors a megachurch in North America. He has a far bigger audience than I do, far more influential than I am and he's looking at this fact that some of the things of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, they're inconvenient, they're uncomfortable, and they're hard to understand. So what are you going to do about that? So here's what he has said, and this is a direct quote. He said, Peter, Paul, and James unhitched their Christian faith from the Jewish scriptures, and we must do the same. He said, we have no business dragging them back into a modern context. Now I want you to think about what he just said. He said that the Old Testament is unreliable. He's saying the Old Testament is no longer part of what we are. He says that Paul unhitched his faith from the Jewish scripture. Are are you kidding me? Go read the theology of Paul. Go read the epistles of Paul. It's entirely 100% based on the Old Testament. He builds this theology from the Old Testament about the Passover and about the Exodus and about the sacrifice and about the Day of Atonement and about uh, Pentecost and all of these things. He brings it out. That's because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so the entire scripture is based on the Old Testament. Yeah, you can shout if you want. sounds like you want it. And that's why Peter, Paul... And James quote the Old Testament exclusively. But let's bring Jesus, just for fun, into the picture here, if we should. Because Jesus based everything he said upon the word of God. In fact, he said this. He said, man shall not live on by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what he did was he validated the word of God again and again and again. He repeated it the Ten Commandments. He said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And then he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. And then what he did was he rehearsed the stories. He told the stories of Noah. He told the stories of Jonah. He told the stories of the Exodus. He told all those old stories that people think are fables. You know what? I I read the Gospels and you know what? I, I, th- I see Jesus talking about the story of Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. You know what I think? I think Jesus actually believed that was a true story. What do you think? He, he did. He, he absolutely believed every. Why is he telling these stories about David and Abraham and Isaac and, and the flood? Why is he telling these stories if he didn't believe them? He absolutely believed them. There's no question you can't read the Gospels without recognizing, well, what was wrong with Jesus? Well, he was a great moral teacher, but he lied about everything else. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. So so let me show you a verse here. I said I had one verse for you today, I lied. I have two verses. I have two verses. So here's the other verse I want to share with you, and these are the words of Jesus. And it's it's John chapter 5, verse 46, and this is what he says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Who knows what Moses' writings were? Anybody know? The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Do you know what stories were in the first five books of the Bible? They, well, let's see. They were the stories of creation. They were stories of the Red Sea. They were the stories of Noah's flood. And he says, look, if you don't believe those stories... You're not going to believe me. And he says, but if you do believe those stories, you'll believe me because Moses was actually talking about me. And you understand why some of those stories are a little hard to believe. And of course, the skeptics, they, they just have a heyday with this. And they say, how can you possibly think that the earth was created in six days? And I'm going, are you kidding me? God didn't need six days. He's God. That's how he did in six days. He could build it in whatever. He didn't need six days. He could have done it in six hours. Could have done it in six minutes. Could have done it in six seconds. Could have done it in six nanoseconds. Boom. It could have been there. But he dragged it out for a full six days so we would understand it. That's the way I look at it. And they said, well, Pastor Mark, you don't really believe that ridiculous story about Noah's flood, that he built a boat, put all these animals on it, and started the whole human race, and, the, and all the people were flooded and killed. You don't believe that, do you? Of course I believe that. So the History Channel did a, did a show on this. It's actually very good. It was called The Great Flood. And they pointed out something I'd never heard before. that They, took, they, found, they discovered that 1,200 cultures and religions around the world all have a similar story of a cataclysmic flood. A mega flood that happened. And every single one of them had the same basic storyline, And we're talking from all these different cultures. We know the Greek culture had a story of a flood. We can read about it in Plato's Timaeus. And it was, uh, you know, the stories of the the Greek gods and this and that, and and, and they got flooded. The Mesopotamians had a story. It was called the Epic of Gilgamesh. The, you know, Hindus had a story. The the Islamics had a story. And of course, the Judeo-Christianity has our story, Noah's flood. And every one of these stories has the same narrative, that mankind misbehaved, God was displeased, and sent a flood and punished them all. Now my question is this, how is this possible that every single one of these cultures all over the world, completely separated and have nothing to do with each other, how could they all know the same story and have their own legend of this? Unless, of course, maybe it happened and it was in their oral tradition. And so I look at the facts of this. You know that if you go to the Mediterranean Sea and you do some scuba diving, you can go under there and you can find roads underneath. You can find parts of city underneath. I mean, Plato tells us there's a whole city of Atlantis under there somewhere. I'm actually not convinced there isn't. There might very well be. Maybe one day we find the remnants of Atlantis. Here's my point. Just because something is hard to understand, doesn't mean it's so. And my belief is this, is that it doesn't mean that the Christians in the Bible needs to catch up to science, it's the other way around. Science needs to catch up to the Bible because the entirety of his word (laughs) is true. So I I wanna conclude this message today with uh, a little interesting story that comes from the a and channel. And uh, probably some of you know what the A&E channel is, it's been around for a long time. And so in the year 2000, they wanted to do a TV special on the 100 most influential people of the last millennium. So from all the way from the year 1000 to 2000, they were going to try to identify 100 most influential people. And I mean, I, I was thinking about that, a whole millennium, a thousand years. What happened between 1,000 and 2,000 A.D.? Everything, everything happened. And they decided they were going to try to pick out 100 people that changed the world during that period of time. So what they did was they gathered 350 scholars and educators, academics, historians, journalists, even some theologians, and they got these 350 people together. And they said, let's work together, and let's come up with a list of these 100 people. You can go look it up online. It's a fascinating list. I mean, they have the explorers on it, like you would expect to see. So there's Marco Polo there, and there's Christopher Columbus. The invent- inventors are there. So there's you know Thomas Edison, and there's Henry Ford, and there's you know Alexander Graham Bell. There's the writers on there. So like uh, William Shakespeare and, and Jane Austen, ladies, she's on it. There's statesmen on it, like. Uh, you know, uh, Winston Churchill and Ni- Nelson Mandela. There's scientists like Jonas Suck and R- R- Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, there's musicians on it like Bach and Mozart and Elvis. I'm glad he made the list. <laughs> and then at the top of the list, there's, there's three men. And I wanna take a moment and I wanna do a, a countdown from the, the three, two, one. The top three most influential people in a period of a whole thousand years They've gotta be pretty important people. So let's go through this. Number three on this list, the third most influential person in a whole millennium of a thousand years was a man that you all know, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was a German monk living in the 16th century in Germany and he was disillusioned with his church, the church in which he was a priest. And he was disillusioned because they were selling indulgences and letting people buy their way into heaven They believed in the infallibility of the Pope, and he couldn't believe that that a man, a human being, could be infallible. But the thing that grieved him more than anything else was that these scriptures were not being regarded as authentic, and they were not in the hands of individuals and people. So he had 95 complaints, let's call them. He called them the 95 Theses. And you will remember this. On October 31st, 1517, he went to the Wittenberg door in Germany and he nailed these theses to the door. And thus begun the Protestant Reformation. So it wasn't without controversy. In fact, they were so mad at him, they tried for him for four years. He had to defend himself. He was excommunicated from the church. He lost his priesthood, and he had to fight and battle this, and they gave him one last chance. It was four years later, and they brought him before this trial. It was called the Diet of Worms. You know what the Diet of Worms is? Slimy, yet satisfying. That's a Lion King reference. Thank you for talking with me. And so, And You know what? I can amuse myself. I'm quite capable of that, if that works for you. And so anyway, he's brought before the, the Diet of Worms, and they tell him this. They said, look, all you need to do is recant this. All you need to do is recant, and we'll, we'll, we'll reinstate you, and we can put this all behind you. And he stood up, and he said this, and he said, I, I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. For here I stand, I will not be moved. For God help me, amen. And that moment of him standing on the authority of the word of God, that was the moment the Protestant Reformation began. And we are all products of that stand he took for the word of God just over 500 years ago. So he is number three. Number two, you will all recognize as well. And that was Sir Isaac Newton. And I would argue he's probably the greatest scientist of all time. I think quantitatively, I think that all of the modern science that we have today is based on and built upon the work of Isaac Newton. I mean, he was a man that, I mean, he discovered gravity, for goodness sakes. are you glad he discovered gravity? You wouldn't be able to walk up and down the stairs without gravity. Look how, how good it works. <laughs> now, I know he didn't invent it, but he did discover it, and he articulated how it worked. He also uh, articulated the, the laws of motion and the planetary motion and the tidal effect and he invented calculus and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So many, many of us know the accomplishments of Sir Isaac Newton. But there's one thing most people do not know and have never heard and it's this, that he was an incredibly devout Christian. He was a student of the word. He was a scholar of the word. He was a theologian in his own right. And one of his big things that he believed in to this very core of his being is that the Bible was meant to be interpreted literally. And he wrote articles and tracts and books on that one fact alone. And he read his Bible every single day because, are you ready for this? He believed the secrets to the universe and the secrets to the science were actually contained in the words of Scripture. And all of these discoveries he made, he did not make in a vacuum, but he made them as he studied and abided in the Word of God. And his Bible is in the library at Cambridge University in England. And apparently if you, and I've never seen it, but apparently if you look through it, there are hundreds and hundreds of notes as he was digging up the truths of the universe because he felt the word of God contain them. And he understood that science and the word of God were not just compatible, they were actually inextricably connected. So he's number two. Number one, Johannes Gutenberg. Now his story is actually a very unsensational story. He was actually not a wealthy man. He was not a a highly successful man. He was this little inventor that had an idea for the movable type printing press. And we're talking the year 1450 here. Before that time, people were not only ignorant, but they were illiterate. There was nothing for them to read. Any book or scroll was hand-scribed from one to the other to the other. So all the literature was in the hands of the priests and the clergy and the academics and the grand public didn't need it. They were illiterate and they were completely, totally ignorant except what others told them. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to figure a way they could print books in mass production. So he he didn't even have the money to do it, so he borrowed it from this man. And he actually started, he built two printing presses... And they were going on in the, same, in the same building. He had one that did commercial printing and that's where it paid for his business. And with the other printing press, it was exclusively committed to the printing of the Holy Scriptures. And then this man who loaned him the money sued him for half his business and he took the lucrative side and Johannes Gutenberg spent the rest of his life printing the Scripture because he felt it would change the world and... 2,000 or or 500 and something years later, the world agreed with him. And this is what he said. I'm going to throw it up on screen. He said, it is a press, certainly. But a press from which flow an inexhaustible streams through it. God will spread his word. A spring of truth shall flow from it like a new star. It shall scatter the darkness of ignorance and cause the light heretofore unknown to shine amongst men. He had a passion for the word of God and he wanted the printing press to be used to print Bibles. The number one book that has ever been printed throughout history so that men would no longer be in darkness but enlightened to the word of God because it's the word of God and only the word of God that is truth because the entirety of his word is true and he who abides in his word will know the truth and the truth (laughs) shall set you free. Let's stand together shall we? If you'd like a booklet to help you understand more about God's gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus Christ, please contact us and we'd be happy to send you a free copy of the Book of Hope. Visit our website at www.churchoftherock.ca Thank you for watching and God bless you.